When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Snark Monkey number 18, Greg McBride. This is a first. I'm actually recording this on my phone due to lack of available modern studio technology. I'll give this a shot. The actual uh, one-on-one interview with Greg was actually recorded on a real studio with real microphones. I am using my iPhone and my hands-free earbud thingy. (laughs) It's just the intro. It's also a first for Snark Monkey because we're talking about something other than specifically the industry, although our guest today does work in the industry, a film and television writer and producer. He lives in Hollywood. He's worked for a bunch of different media companies, but the main topic and the main focus of his fame lately, beyond the awesome movie that he wrote that we'll talk about, oh, you'll find out, the awesome disaster movie that he wrote, um, is uh, the couple of books he wrote detailing his incredible weight loss. And when I say incredible, we're talking about a man who at one point weighed over 400 pounds and dropped uh, over half of that in a year without using any sort of invasive surgery, without anything extreme, just with good sense, logic, and some willpower. Uh, Greg is really funny, has a great attitude, uh, is wanting to share his story with the world. Really fun to talk to, and he's got a couple of books out. One is called Just Stop Eating So Much. The other is called Weightless. That's the new one with stories about his childhood and his life, and it is combined with some uh, more of the the tips and things that can help you if you are looking to uh, change your life from the standpoint of being too heavy. But also just has a great story to tell and really fun. So check it out. Enjoy. This is Greg McBride on Snark Monkey number 18. talking right here being very interesting and entertaining and just snarky enough excellent so thank you for coming in and telling your story and this is um it's interesting because you've got a story beyond just your your business and your entertainment connections because you you are uh you know mostly i've been talking to entertainment professionals whether it's tv or film or acting or even online or voiceover or whatever and that is a world you work in right it is yes i'm a tv and and film writer and 
you know, having being a formerly fat kid, I thought, where could I have the most trouble fitting in? Oh, yes, Los Angeles. So <laughs> moved right out here. Where did you grow up? I grew up all over the world. My dad was in the Air Force, so I went to high school in Germany. I spent a year in Singapore. I was actually born in Germany. Their first tour there, all around. So I, you, I know you cover this in your books. You I can, do. you give your background, but it, I'm I'm always fascinated to kind of hear. Uh, you know, point A to point B to point Z and, and, and how things go. What kind of kid were you uh, uh, other than being... Other than fat. <laughs> uh, I was a fat kid. Uh, you know what? I was I was always, it's, it's, I was sort of a mixture of an introvert, you know, always felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, which is always twenty twenty, they say, uh, I was also a class count, clown. I was always trying to overcompensate for being fat by being funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an interesting combination. You know, being raised overseas, I always felt like I was missing out being in the States. And so you add that to the fact that I thought, well, I'm not popular because of, you know, my weight, even though it might have been my personality. But let's say it was my weight. Um, and I'm sure, but, you know, looking back now, I can see that that all completely contributed to me being a writer. And getting to know people from the inside out and, you know, trying to uh, assess people's different motivations and stuff. And so, you know, it completely serves uh, what I do today and who I am today. And that was part of writing this book was um, really sort of embracing everything. Uh, if you'll allow me to go off on a tangent sure. one second, no, you know. No, no. One of the problems, I think, with the diet industry today is they totally sell this before and after thing. And, you know, it's it's like a light switch mentality. You're either one or the other. Well, they and they give you those pictures. There's here's how I started and here's where I am now. Sure. And it's such a, a huge difference. And It's a huge difference. It's not always uh, entirely truthful. There are some major weight organizations that uh, actually cast their commercials. But, um, you know, that was the whole thing about weightless is, yes, I have this very startling before and after picture, having weighed over 450 pounds and today 175 pounds. Um, But there's a lot of in between, and I'm still a work in progress. And we're all works in progress, whether we're in the entertainment business, in the health business, you know, or just trying to, you know, get a date, whatever it is, it's we're all works in progress. So that's that's one of the points of the book. So what at what point did you think entertainment business is right for you? And and also, there's uh, this is a two part question. They're not necessarily related. But as a kid, you must have experienced other people your age or other kids who are getting yanked around different cities all over the world. Uh, anytime I've ever talked to anybody who had parents who were moving constantly, usually because of the armed forces, because they're constantly having to move around. That or a criminal record. Yep. <laughs> that too. And sometimes they're combined. <laughs> or both. Um, it, it makes for an unusual childhood. They almost always have a completely di- different perspective than any other kid because of that. You're, you're, you never have friends for very long. You're always having to adjust to a new place. You do become very introverted because you have to be much more independent because of all those other things. Yeah. And it can go a, a lot of different ways. So where, uh, A, did you talk to a lot of other kids who are having kind of the same issues or similar issues or just dealing with it differently than you? And then how did that manifest? itself into going, I'm going to be a writer or a producer or I'm going to go into entertainment. Well, you know, I think the I think, yes, it's a very unique upbringing. And, you know, thank goodness for Facebook and things like that, because otherwise I probably wouldn't be in touch from classmates from uh, with classmates from high school, you know, because it's hard to track down people that you knew in Singapore. Um, but nowadays you can track them down. And it's funny, I get a lot of apologies these days. I'm sorry I made fun of you. And, you know, I want to write back and be like, it's okay. It made a great, great thing in chapter two. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in terms of entertainment, I think I've always been drawn to it. You know, uh, again, on the outside looking in, 
Uh, I was always writing. When I was very young, I would I would write novels, and I would always rip things off. Like one of my first novels was called The Third Encounter, and shortly after seeing a movie of a similar name. But I would get very bored with novels quickly. Like chapter three, I'm like, wow, this is a lot of work. So <laughs> when I discovered screenwriting was double-spaced, I'm like, that's for me. And uh, then also, too, uh, I was not an idiot. I would literally cast the... Uh, high school's top jocks and top cheerleaders in my in my movies in the movies that I was doing I was not looking for talent I was looking for looks so again Hollywood here I am uh, but you know I, there was a, a weird kind of theory to the fact okay if people see the fat kid at school hanging out with the jocks and cheerleaders even if I was just giving them a script or something I knew that that might you know help me in my play personally and and it did so a very selfish person here it, well I think it was Martin Mull that coined the the phrase uh, Hollywood is just like high school with money and so you basically started a Hollywood life very much in your younger life you were you were casting the popular kids that's right exactly got you, got you in that world a little bit and and uh it's basically the same thing in hollywood oh yeah i equate <laughs> i equate hollywood to one big high school cafeteria and i just want to sit at that table and p.s i'm, I'm near the trash bins right now at that table <laughs> or maybe working the lunch line i'm but not at sure at least you're in the cafeteria i'm in the cafeteria darn it what was the media that influenced you growing up or the the, the movies or the tv or the or the stars or the faces that you were grabbing to. What was inspiration for you? Well, I think that it was always, you know, pop culture, anything that seemed to be popular, you know, and sort of catch catch fire. I think I was interested in that. At a very early age, I used to love to uh, rent disaster movies, and uh, I was always intrigued by big budgets and that kind of thing. And in fact, the first script I sold uh, now about 10 or 15 years ago uh, was an earthquake movie called Epicenter. And you'll appreciate this. When I wrote it, I was writing it like with uh, Jennifer or J-Lo in mind, like for the lead, you know, that she was going to play yeah. this cop with a heart of gold that makes it through the earthquake. And it got bought by a B-movie company. And they called with the exciting news that Tracy Lords would be playing the lead. Uh, so my first script sale was uh, with a former porn actress. And then the other part was that this guy who was an international kickboxing champion in Europe that he'd be playing the banker. <laughs> I'm oh, like, sure. well, that's good. That's, that's terrific. Perfect sense. It, yeah. You know, J-Lo to Tracy Lords, that's... It's not such a far I leap. I guess it's not. No, you know? not really. So what's your favorite disaster movie all time? Uh, you know what? It constantly changes. I'd say most recently, maybe 2012, just because as the special effects increase, it's a, you know, and especially if you live in a city that's decimated, it's like, wow, there goes Los Angeles. It's yeah. so fun. There was a period of time where they were, they were wiping out Los Angeles pretty regularly. Yeah. And it's coming movies. again too. In, um, there's a movie coming. San Andreas is with the rock. <sighs> oh Speaking God. of terrific, uh, <laughs> character building. This isn't on, is it? That's, that's, that's uh, great. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So um, at what point did you realize, and again, a lot of this is covered in your books, uh, Just Stop Eating So Much, and you've also have, that's also the name of your website as well. It is, my blog. And the latest is Weightless, uh, My Life as a Fat Man and How I Escaped. At what age did you recognize that you had to do something? Well, it was sort I mean, of you were all you probably you were always beating yourself up. Uh, always beating yeah. myself up. From the first grade is when I remember being fat and my parents uh were appalled. Uh you know, the military obviously there's a very kind of athletic bent to that. Of course. And it's very image conscious as well, unlike uh, Los Angeles. And so uh, they were constantly putting me on diets, and I'm sure they thought they were doing the right thing, but in hindsight, that was absolutely the worst thing they could do. Junk food was completely forbidden. And so what I ended up doing is uh, I would steal 
money from my dad's wallet. And instead of buying beer or, you know, anything like that as a kid, I was buying cookies, smuggling it into my room, treating it as the contraband that it was. If I was caught with it, I was I got in a lot of trouble, sometimes physical. So I really sort of learned this on off mentality as well as forbidden fruit and the bonus of pissing off my parents by getting bigger. So uh, That was your way of rebelling. Yeah. We, we all go through that as well, and it's a different way for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't care what you think I need to do. I'll exercise all you want, but I'm going to sneak these cookies in. Yeah. Wow. And it, But when in, in earnest did you actually begin to say, I'm going to change this? Well, I think that started pretty early. I mean, I was always trying. Again, I, I wanted to be thin. I wanted to be, you know, accepted. I wanted to wear clothes that were not in the Sears Big and Tall catalog. Um, but, it, you know, as I, as I kept dieting, I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And part of that is the dieting mentality. Um, I think for me, uh, one of the big things happened shortly after college. Again, I was weighing over 450 pounds. In fact, my scale at the time read ERR, which I later found out was for error. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yes. Couldn't compute that high? (laughs) Yeah. No, it literally couldn't. And it was (laughs) a critic, too. Right. Uh, Better better that than get off, but but it still hurt, the (laughs) ERR. But anyway, so that was certainly, um, you know, one one of the moments. Uh, I remember one time I had a doctor actually start crying. He was so concerned about me. So I was calming the doctor down about my potential death from obesity. Uh, and then another one, and this this is where the name of my blog was born from. There was this very thin vice president at work, and he was married to a beautiful woman, had kids, super successful, and apparently could eat anything he wanted because I would occasionally see him with a donut. So I was sure that he had gotten some newsletter that I did not get. So one day I went in and asked him. I let him know I had a weight problem because at 450 pounds, he might not have realized it. And I asked him for some advice, and he looked at me and very glibly said, just stop eating so much with a little more attitude than that. And imagine The Rock saying it. And so uh, I imagine... Oh, I wish I did impressions right now. I would give it a shot. It would be good. Where where is it? Um, Anyway, uh, so as much as I resented what he said, it really was like, wow, you know what? It's just so crazy. It might work. Was that basically the switch that flipped? That that really was. was. Finally, just that kind of harsh logic lodged in there? You know, even today when people uh, see my before and after picture and they want to know how I did it, whether they have five pounds to lose or, or more, you know, they get very disappointed when my answer is not magic wand. You know, we all want that quick fix. And really, it's not a quick fix. And anytime it is a quick fix, you you maybe are going to lose a little bit, but gain more back. Right. And I did that for years. You know, that's part of what I talk about in the book. What are the, uh, some of the things that you tried? I mean, are there names we would know or diets we Everything. would know? Everything. I mean, yeah. I, I tried Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig. You know, I would do the cabbage soup diet, the rice diet, whatever, you know, the latest magazine diet was, I would try it. And, you know, usually at Monday at 8 a.m., I was raring to go. And by Monday afternoon, that was it. Mm-hmm. And then I would try maybe on Tuesday, maybe on Wednesday. And then by the next week, and then I would just give up because it was the weekend. So I'd be like, okay, let's let's target Monday again. And I would get into this thing that a lot of dieters know, the Last Supper uh, complex, where it's like, okay, I'm never going to have ice cream again, so I better have I'm going to, you know, yes, a whole carton of it. it now, yeah. yes. And that really is something, you know, as dieters, we forget that we can really have one cookie and have one cookie later. And it sounds funny or even a little snarky. Ding, ding, ding. Yay! But, uh, but at the same time, it's, we, we get away from these simple truths. And, and it really is. You know, it's eating less. It's exercising more, drinking lots of water, getting plenty of sleep. And also, uh, 
uh, if we may get a little nutty crunchy, just liking yourself in this moment, whether your waist is 60 inches like mine was or, you know, whatever it is, you, you've just got to kind of like yourself in the minute and just live life in a healthy fashion. At what point did you, I mean, did you have a goal of what you wanted to lose and what you wanted to look like? Or was it just, I need to not kill myself? I mean, no, is, I, that I, my goal was always modeling and uh, <laughs> in a very, very dark room in a very, very dark country, I can model. But, uh, but did you have a vision of yourself as to what you, obviously you, you had the perfect version of yourself. Yeah. But did you think, at least I want to get to so-and-so weight? Yeah. And I, you far surpassed that. I, I, I did. I did. I mean, I, you know, I knew I wanted to get to a certain number, and that seemed so elusive at 450 pounds, you know, to think of being under 200 pounds. And so really what I did was I started breaking it into 50-pound increments. Mm-hmm. And when I got under 400 and my scale could no longer say ERR, that was a major triumph. Now, 50 pounds alone is enough for anybody to go, wow, that seems like a lot. Because yeah. people struggle with five. Sure. They, they, they beat themselves up over t- trying to get 10 down. So how, uh, what's, let's say, what was the progression? How, many, how long did it take you to go from heaviest weight to w- w- at your lightest, I guess? Yeah, which is around 175. And believe it or not, it took about a year. That's it. It's Again, once you stop trying to trick your body and once your body figures out that you're not on this crash diet, yeah. it will participate gladly. Now, that's the thing that's remarkable. The, the year blows me away because I think if you were to say those numbers from 400 plus to 175, you would think, oh, that's that's a couple of years. That's several years work to get to that point. But you didn't. But you did it, and you didn't feel like it was an extreme thing. And no. and and you stayed healthy. And you, how hungry were you? Very. I'm hungry now. I would uh, like to eat the mic, just so you know. You know, I still want to eat the whole bag of cookies, everyone. That has not changed. But um, yeah, no. I mean, it, it does suck. It does suck. You know, I didn't want to exercise. I you know, I would get sick of drinking water and having to ask where the bathroom was all day long. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to put on jeans and be able to breathe, uh, something I had not been able to do before, you know, and I, I write about this in the book, like to walk into gap for the first time ever and be able to buy a pair of jeans was, you know, I could hear the hallelujah chorus and it was not the store employees either. It was in my head. Um, but you know, that was a major triumph. And so, you know, those are all part of the passages that you go along the way. So to get fixated just on one weight. Uh, I don't think is the way to do it. And actually, in the book, there's a a 40-page bonus section, which has all sorts of ideas that could work with any diet, um, because it's a very individual journey, you know? And if you really like ice cream, or you really like cookies, or you really like celery... Um, there's a way to incorporate it. Mmm, celery. Yeah, celery's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to me, the thing that, and I'm, I'm a fairly thin-framed guy, but I have my moments, you know, and I have, I look at my gut sometimes and I go, oh, but, and, and to me, it's always been a little bit about trying to figure out where's the middle ground to not starve yourself of the things that you enjoy once in a while, but also it's that moderation thing, I guess. It is a moderation thing, and I will say to anyone listening, move to Los Angeles, because only here are the people behind the scenes judged as harshly as the people in, in front of the scenes. It's true. Oh, that is any, true, isn't it? Any day that I feel like I really want French fries, I will go to some tourist attraction, because we just, in L.A., truly, there's about four fat people, as comedian Louis Anderson jokes about sometimes. I mean, it really is true, so... But again, it, is, it really is moderation because this all or nothing thing really makes us fatter. It can make us unhealthier. And again, have what you want and then go for a power walk.
Right. Okay. Good. So, so you're touting exercise as well. What are the th- What are the big mistakes people are making now? What are the What are the trends or the fads right now that people seem to be gravitating to that you see? Well, I think that the thing that really um, scares me is that there are more and more diet and fat free and these kind of uh, products on the market. Like all of a sudden, everybody's allergic to gluten. Um, and I'm, I'm doing that right now. Our family doctor told us try and cut out as much weed as possible. Okay. So, but that's but that was your doctor. You didn't yeah. read it in Seventeen magazine, which I noticed in your bag when we walked in. But um, no judgments. Well, that's um, where I got my confirmation. I'm not going to pay okay. attention just to my doctor. Right. right. Let I'm me let me follow this up with some real research. Straight to Seventeen. Absolutely. Um, anyway, yeah. So those those kind of fads and trends, and you know the these they're really sort of artificial foods. You know, fat free stuff has stuff in it or sugar free. It's you know you got to read the labels, and when you can not pronounce what's in there, I say stay away from it. <laughs> Really, you know, you can make changes without going on a diet. Like, for one thing, just cut out all soda and replace it with water, and your life will change. You will look better. Your skin will look better. You don't even have to go on a diet. Make that one change, even, and it will be huge. I will, I will back you up on that, even with diet soda, which they're coming out with more and more studies on how that makes us fatter, e- even yeah. because of how it tricks the brain into thinking you've had something sweet, and then you end up still craving something after yeah. that anyway. Yeah. When I was 450 pounds, I drank about 12 cans of diet soda a day. True yep. story. Yep, yep. Um, and then the other thing, too, is to eat as pure and clean as possible, you know? And that means going to farmers markets, trying to eat foods in their more natural state. And I don't mean don't make them delicious. Listen, again, I love to eat. Don't get me wrong. But when we eat food in a more pure form, our body can metabolize it better. We're not junking up our system with a lot of additives or chemicals. And we're just going to feel better and therefore be more likely to take a walk or whatever. Mm. So um, the the new book is Weightless, uh, My Life as a Fat Man and How I Escaped. So what are we learning in Weightless that we didn't learn in can, I mean, uh, st- Just Stop Eating So Much is basically how you started on that's, your path. Yeah, Just Stop Eating So Much does have some biographical information, but that's a little bit more of a traditional um, diet plan book, although right. it's one of those diets that allows everything. You're not having to cut out carbs or anything like that, but that's a more traditional diet book. Weightless, uh, my latest book, really is sort of a hybrid, so think of it as the Prius of books. It's uh, <laughs> like half memoir, but there's definitely lots of tips in there that somebody could garner, but when I wrote it, I asked absolutely wrote it so that somebody who doesn't have a weight problem um, could read it and be entertained. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like when I was at my heaviest one time, I paid a prostitute just to cuddle. And uh, so I didn't hold back on any of those stories. Listen, I was a 450-pound man. I could not get a date. And it's funny. I would even realize once I started to lose weight that even just my friends would start to pat me on the back. Like before then, I was kind of the forbidden zone. And, uh, you know, there was not a lot of human touch, even from friends or family. I mean, to be on that side of the world and then to be on the side of it now— you know, at 175 pounds, it's been this crazy journey. And I also talk about having to have the excess skin cut away, which is something not many people talk about. But when you're that heavy, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how healthy of a way you lose the weight, you're going to have lots of extra skin. Yeah. And there's another level of, uh, you know, physical, um, well, I mean, that that's 
that's just another step you have to go through to make yourself feel like you're attractive again because you you've done all this work and yeah. you've gotten to a certain weight and then you've got this other thing that you have to think about that you've you know have trouble showing people or letting people know about yeah i literally had folds of skin that you know i was about 185 pounds at the time and i had these folds of skin that i would have to like stuff into my pants somehow i still you know had remnants of skin where my man boobs had had used to be and so i eventually made the decision to actually charge it on credit cards and and get the the skin cut off and that's all in the book and it was uh quite an agonizing thing cuz i did it pretty quickly um so this seems like such a hack question but then bring it on all right how how much has your life changed i mean it's turned into a completely different you look like a different human that's i, I that, do in in almost every way i mean you're just your eyes are bright and you've got a smile and i could model is what you're <laughs> thinking that's, that's basically um, what i'm saying yes yeah, so good at lighting, least for good 17 yeah. yeah yeah 17 for sure um you know <laughs> it, it has changed but i think such a big part of that is just how I think of myself and the way I carry myself. I mean, you know, nobody is more prejudiced against overweight people than ourselves. You know, we really do enter society thinking we're not worthy. And yes, there are people that make us the target of jokes, but you really do have to sort of build up your self-esteem. And one of the things I like to point out is I've now kept off the weight for over a decade. And that's really the success story. You know, when you go to the when you go to the diet book section or the health section of a bookstore or library, a lot there's a lot of books and many of them are well intentioned, but a lot of them are written by nutritionists that haven't necessarily taken the journey. And so that's what Weightless really does is it is it examines the whole journey and doesn't shy away from any of it, even the parts where I looked like an idiot, which I will tell you were many. <laughs> <laughs> now you've been on TV a lot, so you've been in high-profile places. You've been on the Today Show. You've talk, been talking about this for a while now. I will not shut up, is what you're trying to say nicely. No, that, yes. which is great for a podcast, because it just makes me have to work less. Um, <laughs> but what kind of reaction have you gotten out in the real world? Are people... Obviously, you've probably heard from people who have found your story inspirational and, and are trying to kind of follow your path. Uh, are you getting any pushback from people? No, I did. It's funny. About two weeks ago, I got my first Twitter hate, like my one and only Twitter hate and i was like i have arrived it was from australia which i think is where most twitter hate comes from and (laughs) is that uh, that where it's generated i I guess they've been searching for the source the person told me that uh what i'm doing to the for overweight people is devastating and uh so anyway that was interesting but no that there (laughs) has really been no pushback it's 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 been fantastic and um you know, I get a lot of uh, tweets or Facebook messages from people who I think are given a little bit of a new hope. And the other thing, too, is that I don't, you know, make any of this about BS. Like, it is a lot of work. And it is something that, you know, I have to think about even now. You know, I'm always now I'm fighting five pounds just like everybody else. You know, it's something I have to think about. But the payoff is so well worth it. Like to go into a meeting or a job interview and have somebody make eye contact with me when they did not, when I weighed 450 pounds, it was like I had a disease that they were afraid they were going to catch. Do you think that you would not be working in the areas you're working now if you had stayed at that same way? Yeah, no, no no way. I mean, it's again, L.A. and show business is so weird in that. 
you know, it helps to be seen as an average height it help, or height or weight. It helps that they find you attractive. I mean, we are all victims in Los Angeles. We are all victims of the beauty facade that we put out there. You know, even with all the airbrushing and everything else, we think that, you know, everyone needs to look that way, too. So I think absolutely that uh, it has helped. But again, so much of that is in my self-confidence, too. And, and being able to breathe. You know, when I was 450 pounds, I would get out of breath on the phone. Well, I think that's the difference between, I mean, you were at a place where you mentioned the doctor, you know, nearly in tears or actually in tears. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you were at a place where you were actually doing damage to yourself because there is this push also right now, which is, um, you know, this body image thing of accept who you are, uh, love who you are, that sort of thing, which you touched on earlier. So, uh, but there's got to be some middle ground between not having this idealized version of yourself and then beating yourself up over that versus actually doing harm to yourself. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the hate from Australia might come from somebody who is overweight or or just or husky or whatever it might be and wants to be okay with that. With Either that or my mom. It's one of the two. <laughs> Who's dead, but she may be. An, she may she be. My mom the... was a monster. Read the book. You'll oh, see. Oh, wow. Come, she, she, was, she came yeah. from the grave or Australia. Oh, right, right. Same right. difference. Mm. Um, yeah, you know what? There, There is a little bit of that, and I do applaud the loving ourselves as we are, but I firmly, having lived this, it is, my truth is that at that weight, I was not happy. I was out of breath. I could not find clothes to fit. Life was miserable. I did not have any kind of romantic life except in my head or the occasional prostitute. Um, and it, it just didn't exist. And, and once uh, I started feeling better about myself, then the path to health was part of that. So again, if you, if you hate yourself, you're probably not going to reach your goals, whether it's to work in Hollywood or be a model or write for Seventeen magazine or go into porn. Let's keep it all full circle here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I think, I think that that thing about embracing our, who we are is great. But you look at the obesity statistics today, we are getting fatter and fatter as a country. And the real health care crisis, they're saying, if I may be political for a moment, go for it. Is, is, is that we're going to have all these cancers and stuff that are a result of obesity. I mean, we are a fat nation, and we've never had more diet books, diet products, diet foods on the shelves. And so it really, you know, to love yourself means wanting to be the best you can be. Let's talk about your Hollywood life a little bit. All right. Your, your business kind of, I mean, who, who are the people, are you hanging out with celebrities? Do you, have you met J-Lo? Uh, have, have you had a chance to tell have, her that actually. story? I have not told her the story. I don't want, because I feel like she'd be upset that she missed that role. Because it was really quite something. Look, they're rebooting everything right now. I certainly think Epicenter could be brought back. You never know. You never, we'll see how San Andreas does with The Rock. Um, yeah, you know Maybe what? Maybe on Netflix, make it, a, make it a series. There's a different earthquake That's every right. week. That's what you do. That's, uh-huh. It's all series now. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I have been lucky enough to meet some celebrities, which is fun. As a writer, of course, we are the second-class citizen of Hollywood, so we're not often invited to the set because we get upset when somebody changes our words. But... Um, um, or we've been fired, and they've hired another writer that has more credits than us. But I'm not bitter, but I am snarky. 
Uh, it's a very fine line. It's Greg. a very fine line. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I love what I do, but it is absolute. I'm sure that through my writing, I'm trying to write old wrongs because I tend to write for uh, entities like ABC Family, the Disney Channel, that sort of thing. I'm sort of in the teen and tween stratosphere. Writing old wrongs in what way? It well, in kind terms of reliving. Of, your, I'm back in high school. Yeah, reliving you know? your childhood. So yeah, it's yeah. Inter- it's but interesting. But making things end up better than they were sometimes. Yeah, sometimes not. You know, I mean, uh, it's interesting. High school and teens are a very fun thing to write about because it's this universe where every day you have to see your your enemy, your arch enemy, your nemesis. And also, too, even though people can be very mean, they're very honest. To where in adult life, I might be like, I hate that red sweater you're wearing. But here I'd be like, oh, my God, that blue T-shirt's great on you. <laughs> I just changed colors in the middle. But visualize, everyone. Visualize. Um, uh, oh, I'm visualizing so much right now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you're going so fast, Greg. I can't even keep up with you. Where was I headed with your Hollywood life? Um, just that it's amazing. Why aren't I in front of the cameras? You're probably it, wondering. That's probably yourself, actually. Yeah. Well, you have been, you're comfortable in front of the camera. You've been on the TV before. I am ham. Yes, I am. Um, what, what would you like to be doing as far as the business goes? What would you like to be writing? Are you, you know, it's going funny. back to disaster movies? I, I do. Well, yeah. Um, you know what? I Are think you out there pitching stuff all the time? I am pitching things all the time. Um, I love now what is happening in television, you know? Uh, there's so there's so many great you know and we see it now there's this big blur when I first moved to LA you had to either choose you were going to be in film or TV and at right. the time I tended to concentrate a little bit more on film nowadays that's a blurred line and you know we see these A-list actors and writers uh, going to TV the competition <laughs> is worse than ever yeah when you see uh, a new show on Netflix like House of Cards was with a Kevin Spacey with a David Fincher attached yep, and directing yep. the first episode I mean these are major guys doing major films and they are off doing a, an online series yeah. which and the, but the quality shows is amazing yeah. right so that should up everybody's game right to try and you know kind of do that kind of quality so you've seen the business even in the time that you've been in it change drastically in terms of content and what's available out there sure do you think it's making things a little bit better and maybe a little easier to get a, a foot in the door because there's some there's more opportunity there's it's weird there's you know what it's sort of like radio and podcasts and all that stuff like there are a thousand more veins that that product can go into and yet somehow it's gotten all so much smaller you know as it's splintered it's sort of gotten smaller you know as a writer i feel very lucky because i can always uh you know write a new script and it's going to be on the page or not you know um i have great agents who i love and so i feel very lucky um i would love to uh you know i've sold a couple pilots none have actually you know made it to series so i would say that would be one of my goals is to do you know something just because the be to be able to do that kind of character development over the course of several episodes instead of you know just in a film you know yes what i did for tracy lords was really i upped her game quite a bit but uh <laughs> you did challenge her i did you not pushed her they rewrote the script it was it's quite oh, comical oh, yeah no. i can, can i tell you a quick story this is, might, by the way is is that out there can we go find it, it? is it's a it is not on netflix um they do not see that as a big entity for them hmm. but uh it is on it is on dvd all right there's a there's a great scene where she uh well She's, she has quit smoking, but every now and then she smokes. See, it's a very deep character there. And I had written this great scene where she lights a cigarette and somebody says to her, I thought you quit smoking. And she says, I did, and takes a puff, right? Beautiful work. Well, in the movie version, she lights a cigarette and the guy says, I thought you quit. And she takes a puff. She goes, I did. And then I started again. And I thought, wow, that the producers thought 
this idiot writer did not realize yeah, what need, he was doing. We need to finish that thought or other people aren't going to understand. Be so confused. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know what? I think probably every writer has that similar story. No doubt. Every... Probably with Tracy Lords. <laughs> if they're spe- lucky. Specifically with Tracy Lords. Yeah. She might have probably, I can actually envision her complaining. I don't understand this. Why would I say I quit and I'm sitting here smoking? It, because in porn, if I said I wasn't taking my top off, I did not take my top off. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm sure she's a lovely person. I'm sure she is. And in fact, she's the next podcast. And she's <laughs> oh, she's right outside the, the door. Is that the angry woman outside the door? That's great. As a matter of fact, yes. So what is next for Greg McBride? Um, more books? Do you have more you can write about? There may think? be there may be another book in in my future. Uh, Weightless was definitely you know ten years in the making. It's something that uh, I always had in the back of my mind. I think if I had written it ten years ago, it would have probably been a little bit more angry or snarky. Um, <laughs> you know, now given a little bit more distance from some of the things I lived through, and including me getting in my own way. Uh, I think it's written with a lot of joy and also a great sense of humor, which I think is essential no matter where you are in life. So where do you stand now in terms of your relationship with your parents? And you you said you've kind of stayed in touch with some of the people you grew up with, and that's changed. And um, looking back at some of the difficulty you had as the kid, uh, is there forgiveness in there? Are you able to let some of that go? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely forgiveness. Um, I think even bigger than forgiveness, there, forgiveness, there's acceptance. I think for a while I lived life like I, there was some time machine that I didn't have access to, and I could somehow go back and change it. And I think once I accepted it, it was all good. And, uh, you know, I detail in the book, my, my parents were pretty horrific. Um, my mom was a pathological liar. Uh, she's dead now, but she used to tell people I was adopted and then eventually told them I had a disease because she didn't want them to realize I just love food. That was too too scandalous. And uh, my dad is just the world's busy- biggest narcissist. And I will prove that by saying he's not read the book. It's funny. A lot of people that know him, they're like, what does your dad think of the book? Because, you know, he may not be entirely happy with how he is portrayed mm-hmm. uh, to be played by The Rock. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he he has not read the book. But it's all good. You know what? We are all doing the best that we can. And I realize even looking back that my mom really was dealing with some mental illness. And so was it her fault or maybe the people's fault who left me and my sister to be raised by her, you mm-hmm. know? But all of that has made me who I am today. And I I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. I really do. I'm I'm even with all my flaws and uh, you know, all the ways that I got in my own way as well. It wasn't just my abusive parents. I did plenty to to mess myself up as well. But you know, we're all works in progress. We're all on the journey. And I think the more we celebrate that, the better off we'll be. Absolutely. Uh cast the rest of Weightless the movie. We've got The Rock as We've your We've got dad. The Rock as my father. Yes. I think Tracy Lords as my mom. <laughs> Obviously. Or J Lo. You know, it could be played like as the mental illness gets worse, then we could maybe go to J Lo. It could be kind of an arty sort of thing. Oh, that's interesting. You know, maybe a Wes Anderson kind of But little... who plays you? Well, I'm thinking maybe as a child, Ryan could... Gosling <laughs> or Robert Pattinson or one of those. Yeah, no. That's all working. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it'd be interesting. I'll tell you, I think the best the best thing for Weightless, if it were ever to, to go to the screen, is right after college at 450 pounds, I moved to New York and was working in high fashion. So imagine, you know, sort of like a real life ugly Betty. Um, so I, I literally was this 450 pound guy. I would go to all these modeling parties. And I mean, it was very high end at the time would get drunk off my butt. Cause it was an open bar. And you know, I had no, there was no when to say when with me. And I would like go up to models and it just was disastrous. That's one of the great chapters in the book. And so that, that would actually make a good 
a good foray into film or TV. <laughs> Excellent. Um, let's uh, quick answers, quick uh, quick questions, quick snarky answers here. Okay. Uh, who's your favorite celebrity to watch right now? Favorite celebrity to watch? I'll tell you, um, I would say Gillian Anderson, and I was never a fan of The X-Files. Right. But uh, the series The Fall, which is on Netflix, not a paid plug, is just crazy genius yeah. like in terms of writing acting it just is crazy we just talked about that here in in a, a group podcast this past uh friday night because it is so creepy i, I haven't even started season two yet oh I, you gotta I watch to, season I two to man up, I mean, because that first season wigged me out so much in the best possible way and i also felt like i was really watching what an actual ser- serial killer and an actual police force goes through i felt like it was so close to almost fly on the wall documentary style in yeah. terms of how those things work but in a very engaging very entertaining yeah, yet, you, yet you, creepy way very creepy very scary you can't look away and just the dimension that all of those actors you know bring to their roles even even the small actors in in that yes. it's just all it's incredible and she's uh playing a very complicated character not immediately we fought about this i find her not very likable but I, I find that fascinating at the same yeah, time. She's absolutely. very flawed and, and very cold in some ways, but also... And unapologetic, though. Yep. You know, yep. she owns it. So season two is good? Season two is incredible. Wow. I would have never expected you to say Gillian Anderson. I, I would have never... I did not prepare any answers. And they're talking about bringing X-Files back, actually. Yes, they are, speaking of. Uh, who should win the Oscar? Uh, I, you know, that's a good question. Have I, you I, seen everything? I have seen everything. Um and I vote in the Writers Guild Awards, which they say sort of affects it. Um, but I, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I don't, I don't have an odds-on favorite. Right now, I would say if I had to choose one movie, I would say Boyhood just because of the, you know, I mean, that is filmmaking. It's just, you know, a 12-year project. Wow. And, I and I loved that it was sort of about nothing. But, you know, I found myself during the movie going, yeah, yeah. I have talked with many people now and have also read other people and heard other people say the same thing, that they couldn't understand why they were so emotional at the end of that movie. And I was the same way. I couldn't. And having seen loved movies and seen so many movies and I'm movies obsessive and um, I couldn't articulate what it was I uh, obviously I was a boy once you we were. were boys I'm assuming that yes. I, w- I also happened to be a boy in Texas and wow. I, I had some similar things happen to me so but I, I couldn't be alone in that because obviously it's gotten the same kind of response from people and there's something about I, I want to say the passage of time or just kind of reflecting on seeing you, you kind of live with this family for two and a half hours through 12 years of their life yeah. and you feel very connected to them. And when it's over, there's kind of this sense of loss. I, I don't know if it's about, you know, looking back at childhood and, and thinking about that. You obviously have to look back at your childhood all the time because of the way you reflect on what you went through. Yeah. Um, are you absolutely happy that's over? Do you have kind of one of those, do you have those moments of, if I had just done things differently, do you try and avoid the regrets? No, thing? I spent a lot of years in, in that way, you know, and even thought, oh, God, if I had only lost the weight before 18 or whatever it was, um, you know, for me, it was just before 29. But uh, no, I have no regrets. And I often have to remind myself that I have no regrets. But I really don't. I mean, it, that's such a waste of time. It, it's never going to change. And so, again, that sort of goes back to the acceptance thing. And I think that's one of the great strengths of boyhood as well is that, uh, you know, some crappy 
things happened in that movie, and his parents weren't always great. And yet there wasn't always this kind of movie version outcome to it. It was like, oh, all of a sudden it's four years later, you know? And right. that's what life is. Like, we're right. all survivors, all of us. I think that's it. I, it didn't conform to the movie conventions. Uh, Linklater has said that there are a couple of places in the movie where people expect terrible things to happen, and they just don't. Like, um, I think w- when the with the father, the stepfather's the stepfather, driving, yeah. and he's had been drinking, and... Um, there's another moment too where they expect you know something terrible to happen and it just doesn't and maybe that's it it's that we have those feelings all the time i had a i had a terrible day yesterday i spent the whole day with this kind of sense of dread that something that the other shoe was going to drop Uh-oh. and it didn't i oh, mean it see? was just me it was me doing that and it turned out a whole bunch of other people had that kind of day yesterday too i want to blame mercury in retrograde okay. i want to yeah, maybe it was just a monday january thing. we know. had rain in los angeles that freaks the it hell out very, of people there was water yeah i know it was weird like, it came from the sky it Greg. did and it may have been toxic because of the smog all right so if anything if you learn anything out of this podcast we hope that you actually see boyhood no wait uh that's <laughs> not what we're trying to do uh what i i, I this has been a great story i i love talking to you you've got such a great Great energy and such a great kind of positive outcome to something that obviously took a lot of work. Uh, but I think the thing that's most interesting about what you bring to the table, Greg, is that you're not you're not talking fad. You're not talking. I mean, you certainly give people specifics about what you think they could do and where they could go. There's recipes. There's right. exercise ideas. Again, though, they could go with any kind of diet. I, right. When somebody starts talking about cutting out food groups, I mean, if it's your doctor saying to cut out gluten or Seventeen magazine, then do it. But otherwise, you know what? It's a, it's it's moderation. <laughs> well, you've got people. Touting the the paleo orientation, yep. you've got the the gluten free thing, which I have to say I've had really good results from. Uh, not even necessarily in weight loss, but I feel like I've I've been healthier the past two years. That's I great. I haven't gotten sick in two years. Wow. My wife and I were comparing notes on this. We haven't gotten even a, a cold. We kind of have this sniffle for like. 24 hours and then it's gone the wow. severity of our of our illnesses and i'm in radio stations and i'm sharing equipment i'm with, worried about this mic I'm i not know gonna lie to you. there are disgusting people working <laughs> in radio so so there is something to be said for uh, dialing back certain things sure. probably so i would tout you know the the gluten-free thing and people mock me for it all the time but that's not stopping me from having uh the occasional pizza with the gluten-free crust uh and but i but i feel like that people are forgetting that it's it's like you said you managed to do this in a year it's not the extreme modification as no. much as you know what a it's, commitment to it really making is some changes and what i'm what i did <laughs> my stomach's growling what you're doing <laughs> when, where are the chocolates um what you're doing and and what other people are doing whether it's paleo or gluten-free whatever is they're becoming more conscious and that is the key you know what when you are heavy you are unconsciously eating. And so if you become more conscious about eating, even if you're just like, okay, I'm going to replace the soda or I'm not going to have gluten so much. Or for me, like when I have ice cream, I'll get a brand that has like five ingredients so that I know what it is. I know that it's healthier and that I'm going to go for a walk after. I still love it. I'm sure I still have a little bit more than I should. Four servings, are they nuts? Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it's being I more conscious. Those. I hate reading those labels. What well, are you kidding? writers, what do they know? I can't eat the whole bag, really? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for talking with thank us. You. I want people to check out Waitlist. That is the new book. You've also got a completely revised and updated version of the, your previous book, which is Just to Stop Eating So Much, and people could check out your blog. How often do you update that? And- I update it a lot. In fact, there's lots of the recipes. Uh, there's lots of great information on the blog. If you don't want to get the book, just go to JustStopEatingSoMuch.com. There's lots of good stuff there for anyone that maybe wants to get a little bit more conscious. And what about the social media? Can people follow you? Can, yes, can, I'm at uh, Greg Evil McBride. Australians uh, track you, you down? You can hate, send hate Twitter to, what was your Twitter account again? <laughs> at the Snark Monkey. At the Snark Monkey. We accept it all. Uh, I am at Greg McBride, G-R-E-G-G-M-C-B-R-I-D-E on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, they can find Just Stop Eating So Much on Facebook. And uh, yeah, I'm out there. Excellent. Well, thank you for telling a little bit of your story, but people should read the books, and especially if they're interested at all in the journey you've gone through, I think they'll find something really inspirational there. Can you close with, uh, I hate to get too like deep and um, kind of sincere, but what... <laughs> Don't you do it. <laughs> I can't help it. What, what would you say uh, as words of wisdom to people who are struggling like the way you struggled and are looking for that light at the end of the tunnel? That the sooner you love yourself in this moment, the sooner real change can happen, no matter what it is, no matter what your goal is. If you feel good about yourself, and P.S., you should, you are great, no matter what your weight is, just do that. And if I can offer real quick, um, start like a Pinterest board where you just put on stuff that motivates you, whether it's clothing, whether it's certain size models, whether it's hot chicks or hot guys, whatever you're looking for. The Rock. Whatever. It could be The Rock. It could. You might want to get Epicenter on Amazon. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever's going to motivate you, start a Pinterest board or a scrapbook or whatever it is and really build up your self-esteem. That, that is the key to anything. Excellent. All right. Lunchtime. Actually, yeah, please. Bring in the food and the girls. <laughs> Greg McBride, thank you so much. Thank you. Get a monkey. Get a monkey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.